Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sacco for the second Pistons beat writer for Detroit Free Press. And unfortunately tonight, we are not joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. He's a little under the weather, and that's why you didn't get the cool intro at the beginning. I I don't mess with that stuff. We do have a guest, as you guys can see if you're watching here live or watching on YouTube. But real quick, before we introduce him, Omori, we have some ratings, we have some reviews, we had someone shout you out there in person. So first from Apple says, favorite Pistons pod, Omari covers the team very well. Bryce brings some great and interesting perspective to the discussion. Highly recommend these guys. So we appreciate everybody who rates, reviews the pod, like, subscribe, all of those things. And then Omari, apparently you met a fan on the street the other day. Yeah, there's a store I go to a lot. And one of the guys who works there, shout out to DeCarlo. He rec- actually had my Pistons post city on because I wore it to the to the practice facility earlier. Uh, he recognized me and we chopped it up, talked business for about 20 minutes. And I go to that store a lot, so I'm sure I'll be seeing you around. So shout out to DeCarlo, big fan of the show. And, you know, I'm just happy that people are still tuning in that we're like past the, the trade deadline and it, it tends to get a lot more boring usually this time of year. But I guess when you have a trade deadline like they had, it it, it keeps the attention high. Yeah. And then Will J shouted us out on Twitter. He said he was traveling. Happy birthday to you tomorrow, Will J. He's always popping into the YouTube lives and all of that. He asked about Stanley Amude. We maybe talk about that a little bit later, but we've held off long enough. We are joined tonight by Detroit Free Press's own Sean Windsor. Sean, what is up? How are you doing? Coming off a Pistons win. We finally get to see them get a win. Maybe they've you know, kind of been chomping at the bit here, Sean, with these last couple of games. I feel like they deserve to get one. How are you doing? Thanks for joining the pod. Oh, doing all right. Thanks for having me. I always love joining you guys. Yeah, they especially after what happened in New York, right? Oh man. Yeah. And the, and and then also the the potential travel call on Boncaro or missed travel call on Boncaro at the end of the game against Orlando. So that was two yeah. tough pack to back losses. Obviously the New York one was more devastating because if, if they make that call, they they probably win the game. They would have been three seconds. No guarantee Thompson hits both free throws. I think New York had a timeout, so then your guard to three. I mean, who knows? With the Pistons' luck, Thompson splits <laughs> the pair. They draw uh, you know, they draw something up, and uh, they hit yeah. the three at the buzzer. You Bo- know what Boyan I mean? So, hit, Boyan hits the three, right? Like, that would have been yeah, the most ex- poetic thing is Boyan or Burks yeah. hits it. Exactly. That would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That wow. that would have been something, but no, for yeah. sure. The, the the way they the way they played tonight in Chicago was was pretty impressive, to be honest, right? I mean, back to back. I mean, I know New York and Chicago are that that far apart, but still, young team coming in, showing the fight. They were touch sluggish at the, at the beginning, but I thought the second half was as impressive a performance as they if they've had all season, to be honest. 
Yeah, I was nervous, Amari, them coming off the back-to-back, the heartbreaker to the Knicks that everybody has talked about, and we all know what happened there. Like, it would have been real easy for this team to just be like, okay, like, you know, we don't have it tonight. You know, the energy is not going to be there. They started out okay defensively, but then DeRozan got going there for a while. Drummond was like playing like peak Drummond, you know, all of this. And then I, I told you guys, I haven't seen the second half yet. I had to go do something before we recorded the pod. I've only seen the first half, but it sounds like they figured it out in the second half and, and got it rolling. Yeah, a big key for them late was Simone Fontecchio, who I know we're we'll talking about here later. But when they went all bench, well, really in the second half, it was bench plus a star. But they were able to stay afloat largely because Fontecchio had some really big shots to open up the fourth quarter. Now, they gave Kate a pretty nice six-minute rest after he played, I think, 11 minutes in the third. And Fontecchio hit a couple of big threes to help the Pistons stay in control. He had an offensive rebound. And then he spent some time with the starters, too, until Asar replaced them. So that was a big difference tonight besides Cade, who had 26 points, 9 for 13 shooting. I mean, he's been on fire since we got back from break. But I thought Fontecchio with the second unit really, really looked good tonight. And that's an element they haven't always had this season. Sean, what did you see in the second half or what stood out to you the most? You said you thought it was like maybe one of the better halves you've seen this team play all year. You mentioned this young team back to back, both road games. And in the second half of that back to back, both road games, they play really well. What what stood out to you? Was there a player? Was there something they did as a team that that kind of surprised you or impressed you in that second half tonight? Well, a few things. So, well, first of all, in the first half, when the when the Bulls went up by, I don't what was their biggest lead, Amari, thirteen or twelve or mm-hmm. so somewhere in there. Again, it was the all bench lineup, and at one <laughs> point, I don't even think Thompson was in there, and it started earlier. And I and I thought that in the third quarter, Tom, you know, Monty Williams didn't sit Cunningham until what forty seconds ago or something like that. You know, it yeah. was under a minute. And then Ivy, and I'm trying to remember how long Ivy sat, but he, he stretched it out a little bit better. I thought. And that second unit struggled even in the second half to a degree. But to your point, Finecchio hit a couple of huge threes. Had a, I think he had a layup too. Maybe knocked a loose ball around. But, but what, so, so to me, the, the, the biggest thing I thought was their defensive rotations with the starters. And Stewart had, me and Stewart back in the lineup and Thompson out there. And even Ivy had a couple of really good defensive positions. And I know, except that I don't know what you – I'm curious what you think, Bryce. It's not that Ivy just gets lost. It's that when the ball swings to his man, he's never in defensive position. He's he's almost never ready to defend. And it is so, so he wastes all that incredible natural quickness and and balance and, and all those things. But I, And I saw that a few times in the first half. In the second half, they were just a lot more connected defensively and even – and I thought their rotations were much better, and and I'm and they communicate and they communicated better, right? And I just, to me, that's what I I thought was probably the most promising thing of all. I mean, aside from Thompson hitting a three, actually hit a couple of them. But he hit a big three late. Yeah, no, I think the rotations is something that has really drastically improved throughout the entire year. I have it in my notes from the last two or three games that. These guys are like, if they get a double or they get in scramble, somebody breaks down the defense, they are making rotations. They are more on a string. Like you said, especially the starting group, that second unit struggled there for a while. Like Drummond was getting wide open dunks and and the rotations weren't as good. I think you bring up a good point with Jaden Ivey. I think what Jaden Ivey has gotten better at, Sean and Omari, is 
he gives the second effort. So he still gets beat at times, but then he'll use that athleticism, a second effort to recover, maybe get a block, those type of things. But yeah, he's got to get better just with kind of his attention or focus or whatever it is whenever his man, he, he still gets beat with a back door one time a game. Uh, Amari, what did you have in terms of this second half, maybe this game overall, before we kind of start talking bigger picture things, players, Fontecchio, we need to talk about Quentin Grimes at some point, like all of these, well, we got to talk about Cade Cunningham at probably to start, but just what was your biggest takeaway from these three games that were very competitive and then they finally get a win on Tuesday night? Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, they have been chopping at the bit um, a little bit after uh, they lost the last two games, uh, really by, <laughs> you know, I think officiating airs. Uh, tonight, I think it really was a ro- rotation win uh, just to see how Monty tightened up in the second half. And I wouldn't say it was flawless, but there was a stretch um, at the end of the first going into the second where they went all bench. I'm looking at my notes now. It was Malachi Flynn, Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, Fontecchio, and, and, and Wiseman. And Fontecchio didn't never have the, the best. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about Wiseman too. Well, well, yeah. Hey, oh, hold on, hold on real quick. He's going to see the floor because they just agreed yeah. to a buyout with Mike Muscala via yeah. Woj, a Woj bomb. Like, I, I don't know, Amari, we're getting pretty good at this in terms of going live and news breaking because now we've had a trade happen live and now we have Muscala getting by. I mean, Wiseman's going to keep playing then, right, Sean? If, if Muscala's gone and they He's have gonna, his team I, yeah, I don't understand it. I know Muscala is not a banger, but he spaces the floor out and he can at least grab a rebound. And, and I hate to pick on poor Wiseman, young guy, good dude, tries, wants to want, wants to be good, but he, he's got no hands, he's got no feel, he's got no lower body strength relative, relative to his size and the guys he's guarding. I mean, Drummond just punished him on the glass tonight, right? And, and that's a fairly nightly occurrence if I, I really do feel for him in a lot of ways you know being a number two pick and all that but he just he's just yeah it's a mess it, it's a mess and the fact that they went with him over Mascala at least for right now I mean I'd be surprised if he's with the team next year it's just it just tells you what they want and what Weaver wants right he yeah, prizes so- he prizes perceived strength athleticism upside over a guy who was spread the floor Mascala made them better immediately yeah, he did. No, and, and now you've gotten the, the two guys that maybe could do that, Amari, are gone. And I, listen, I watched Stu tonight in the first half. He went 0-4 from three and missed everything short. It looks like he hit a couple in the second half. Is that right? He finally knocked a couple down? He did. And, and so he can provide a little bit of that. But if there was anything that you kind of thought was positive from that Marvin Bagley trade to the Wizards, it was that Mescala and Gallo, even though they can't play defense and can't really move anymore, it was that those guys could space the floor. You bought out Gallo after the trade deadline, which was interesting to me, after you waived five other guys to get to 15. And now after three games, post all-star break and deadline, you wave Mike Muscala or apparently have agreed to a buyout. I shouldn't say wave. I think the Woj report, Amari says that they have agreed or are working on a buyout with Muscala. It just, it seems like really weird timing to me with both of these, but especially Muscala now. And as Sean says, a guy that you could find, you know, minutes for in the rotation. Yeah, no doubt. Muscala came in and just the spacing he provided with that second unit, like it was like night and day. And he clearly missed playing alongside Asar, where we see the extent that teams help off of him. And like, he did hit two big threes tonight and a big one last night as well. But I think Muscala helped a lot of that 
you know, I'm curious if Danilo Gallinari getting bought out first factored into Muscala's situation only because they have been traded together, I think, a couple of times. And, you know, that probably also explains why Wiseman's been playing over Muscala. You know, I'm I'm assuming that that request wasn't made just tonight. They're sure. in, the, in the works of processing it now. So I would I would guess they had this conversation at some point. But, yeah, I, you know, I think offseason priority for sure has to be big, right? I think you need a floor spacing big. You know, I think Stu is an asset back there as far as being able to space the floor, but he's just not going to get it done by himself. And again, like what Wiscala brought this team was night and day. So you've got to put that toward the top of your list uh, for this offseason. Yeah. And I do think just from listening to the front office show with our friend of the pod, Keith Smith, I think you have to have been waived or bought out by March 1st to then get picked up and be on a playoff roster. So Muscala doesn't have to be signed with his new team by March 1st, but he had to be off the Pistons by March 1st. And obviously we're getting very, very close to that. Let's move on to some players on the roster, Sean, some big picture stuff. But I want to start with Cade Cunningham. I mean, this man has been incredible in the four games since the All-Star break. I think he's been pretty good even before that. Omari, I know you've been tweeting out some stats at fans and stuff. Like, it's not just all of a sudden. But, Sean, what have you seen from Cade? Has it changed your mind on anything? Maybe you've thought these things anyway. Maybe you knew this. who was... This is who he was, but just thoughts on Cade Cunningham, especially his play recently. Well, I, I didn't think he was great when he came back from his his knee injury. I mean, he was he was fine. In fact, if anything, when he came back, you know, Ivy had really been open, yeah, for a stretch there, right? And and so that was interesting, kind of watching that, and they kind of had to rediscover whatever little bit of rhythm they've ever had. I mean, it's not their fault; they just haven't played a ton together, but. But he's found his he's kind of found his way back. He look, when when, when I watch Cunningham right now, I, I imagine what he will look like with still another five pounds, yeah. seven, eight, seven, eight pounds, and better conditioning. You know, he, he got gas last night uh, in New York. And, and at some point that's gotta change, right? You can't be a big time lead dog in this league on a team that has some goals. And gas out in the fourth quarter. You, you. So that's got to change, right? Yep. And 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 my guess is that will. But you, if you imagine him with just a little bit more strength and a little better conditioning and they're just more experienced, there's still even tonight he had a couple times he leaves his feet and he throws the ball away, right? I mean, th- those have to stop. I mean, look, Steph Curry does that occasionally, but that's that's the mo- maybe one of the two or three most efficient players in the history of the of basketball. So that's different. You can you you can you can let you can live that in a different way, I, you know. Cunningham's going to keep getting more efficient, I would imagine, because he's just the stronger he gets, the easier he gets to his spots, and he just looks so fluid and smooth. He had a couple a couple of times tonight. Oh, you probably didn't see this part. You didn't see the second half of Mario. I'll tell you, coming around. Oh no, actually in the first half. Maybe you didn't see this price. One time he came around. It's almost like he's in slow motion. He was coming around the left side, just kind of kissing up off the glass yep. with his yep, left I hand. Did. Yep, and it's and it's like the defender expects him to speed it up, so he's kind of par- paralyzed a little bit. It's a it's a it's a really interesting sort of thing that he's got. It's not just a change of pace; it's it's a psychological thing about what you expect when you're playing basketball, and he takes advantage of that. and And, and I think he's going to continue to take more advantage of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I I see a lot of people question like he can't get to his spots or what. Like, I don't think it's a thing of whether Cade can get to his spots. I think he gets to his spots. It's just it hasn't always been efficient with actually making them. Like, there's too many times he isn't able to finish through the contact. Which, to your point, Sean, you add five pounds to him, and all of these ones we're mad about because they're no calls or he's not getting to the free throw line. He's going to finish regardless, and then maybe as he gets a better whistle, then it's and ones. But I think he gets to his spots, and then over these four games, we've seen him make those shots the majority of the time. Obviously, the New York game, like you said, he wore down. I think his defensive energy and effort has shown better in some of these games as well. Amari, your thoughts? I know you've kind of, I don't want to say like had to defend Cade on Twitter recently, but it feels like you've kind of taken that up just like to remind people how good Cade is and has been. And obviously, he's really done it this last week. Yeah, there's been a lot of debate, you know, obviously this season about Cade Sealing. Is he a number one or is he the guy? Listen, that and the turnovers have been a pretty big topic. But as I tweeted, I think last week, he's more or less solved. Well, I won't say solved the turnover issues. He could still cut them down a bit. But it hasn't been excessive really since the end of December. And even when he came back from his injury, and I think he had a six or seven turnover game pretty early, you look over the sample size of like nine or 10 games and he was still pretty much out of season average. He led the league in it pretty early. And last I checked last week, he was like 18th per game, uh, which is a pretty significant decline, especially considering how much he handles the ball. So I think you combine that just him being more efficient with the ball with just how well he's been scoring the ball. I mean, you look at his last three games before tonight and he's like shooting 57% overall, 57% from three, 29.7 assists, six rebounds, four turnovers. Like, you know, the turnovers are still a bit high, but you look at other uh, leading bar handlers too, and his numbers really are not that out of whack. He may not be the type of Chris Paul (laughs) efficient point guard, and there's still room to grow, but it's for me, it's no longer at the point where I'm questioning if he's a number one guy. I think he's showing uh, pretty firmly over the last three months that he is. Well, I think he's at least shown the fight. Like the potential is there. The ability is there. Can it be consistent? Can he continue to grow and get better? Yeah. I mean, I think when people are talking about trading him or other people being better than him and, and those type of things, like I think he's put a lot of that to rest. And as Kate has said, it has to turn into winning. And finally, on Tuesday night, we saw that. We are going to go to a short break and then we come back, Amari. I would like to dive in a little bit more to like Cade Cunningham playing with Jaden Ivey. How do they fit together? How has the rotations been thus far? Should they stagger more? Those type of things. Obviously, get your thoughts, get Sean's thoughts. I have some opinions. We'll get into the Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey backcourt after this. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back with segment two, and we're just going to dive right into the Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey backcourt. Sean, it's been about three months now since Ivey's been a full-time starter, and I think his role has still fluctuated 
within that. But a lot of the early season, I guess I'll call it angst over how he's being utilized and his standing in the rotation. I think a lot of that has subsided. Just looking at how they played tonight, where they're both pretty efficient and as a whole, just broadly, what are, what's been your take on how they've best thus far? I think they show potential. Tonight was interesting. And again, yeah. sorry, Bryce. Bryce, I know you didn't see it. <laughs> but okay, here's a good example. So the, the end of the second quarter, there was what, a shot clock's worth of seconds, maybe yes. maybe a few a few more. Ivy starts dribbling up the court. You, I don't know. I can't remember. He took the, if he got if somebody passed it to him, if he got the rebound, I don't remember. He took a dribble, maybe. And you could tell Cunningham was calling for the ball. So Ivy looks over and gives Cunningham the ball. Cunningham comes up. Dribbles out the clock, or most of it, and then gets a pick somewhere near the top of the key, gets over the left side, I want to say on Vucevic, and steps back and hits a three. And he wanted the ball, he knew it, and he should have the ball. Cunningham should have that right, first right of refusal in those moments. Unless maybe Ivy's just on an absolute heater like he was in Sacramento or whatever. But in the toward the end of the game, it wasn't a one or two possession game, but what I like tonight in Chicago was they took they each took turns initiating the offense but several two or three times in a row maybe and i want to say every time i went to duran on an elbow sort of a drill and then he would decide whether he was going to give it back to cunningham and ivy and so there's a, a nice distribution there and it's it's kind of I, I liked how democratic that was in a way and you, and you can and you can see that and they both i want to say they both made plays Cunningham, I think, got the ball in one of those handoffs and kicked it out to Thompson for the corner three. And then there was another time where Ivy got in the lane and dished it to somebody. I don't remember who that was exactly. But you can see it. And and that's the thing that I that I think frustrates a lot of people with Monty Williams is that Ivy can make plays. Right. Yeah. I mean, he and 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 when they've had all these all bench units, even even in New York, look, I get it. Don't pull Grimes. He was on a roll. He was in New York, he was feeling it. But maybe you go small for a second and see what that looks like. But not playing Ivy there, right? It just it doesn't make any sense to sit him for that long. He needs the reps, right? Especially when Cunningham's on the bench. He needs the reps to me. You got to see what you got. Well, I yeah, think – oh, go ahead, Amari. No, I was just going to say, and it's odd that we saw Ivy getting more of those on-bar reps before, but now the rotation has more or less been pairing Ivy – solely with Cade, right? There hasn't really been much staggering at all in the last few weeks. And, you know, Ivy does not always make the best decisions with the, the, the ball, but I think beyond that, he's still proven this season that he's the second best engine on this team after Cade. Yeah, and neither I think... Does, neither does Cunningham. Sorry, Bryce. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think what was frustrating for me is I tracked... It was either the New York game or the game before that. I tracked... Ivy's minutes without Kate on the floor and one, it was only like five minutes. And then in those possessions, there was like 33% of them where he didn't even get a touch. So it was just frustrating that yes, these two have to be able to play together, Sean, but there is part of the success is you don't have to play them together. You can have one or the other on the floor at all times. Let Cade run the show with spacing. Let Ivy run the show with spacing. As you said, he needs those reps to grow anyway. I think that's where a lot of my frustration is, is it's going to take time for them to reach their peak playing together. And I've stayed very bullish that I think they can, but stagger them. One of them should be, there should be 48 minutes of every Pistons game where one 
of those guys is always on the floor. Like, I don't think it's impossible to make that happen or at least close to it. And the minutes when Ivy is on the floor without Cade, the offense should be running through him. So I think that's where I get frustrated at times is not seeing that because I do think that this potential backcourt, like it's huge. Like it, And if, if nothing else, Sean, you got to figure out if it is going to work, right? Like we need to get that data of is it going to work or not? No, no question. That's the central question, right? That's the yes. central question with the, with the rosters is currently constructed. You know, I mean, you, you can project, okay, is Dern – is his is he going to get in better condition? We're talking about conditioning earlier with Cunningham. Is he ever going to get in shape? And it, as he gets older and learns the NBA game and learns to defend, I mean, he's got a lot of defensive issues. Is he going to knock down an elbow jumper? Whatever. That's just him, and that's just reps. And we'll see if it happens or not. The coach has nothing to do with that while he's on the court. You know yeah. what I mean? The coach yep. has a lot to do with that off in practice, off season program, all that kind of stuff. But. The coach has everything to do with whether this pairing is going to work or not, or most everything to do. And I think that's just, it's just driving Pistons fans mad. And I, I'm not, I don't normally like to look at it from a fan's perspective, but it's, I'm with you. It is, it's baffling. It's absolutely (laughs) baffling because Ivy, yes, he turns the ball over. So what? You've won nine games. I I mean, the, the guy, the guy makes at least two or three plays a game that are breathtaking. I'm talking about for somebody else, not just for himself. Yeah. He, he well, does. You, you, we all watch general NBA. How like There are other guys that pressure the rim better than him and obviously are more efficient when they do so. But the list isn't crazy long, Amari, Sean, of guys who can get into the teeth of the defense, break the defense down, and do it somewhat easily. Like, Kate doesn't always do it easily even if he does get there. Sean, like... Jay Nivey gets into the teeth of the defense about any time he wants. Now, is he going to make the floater? I don't know. Is he going to make the right decision? I don't know. But there is something to that, and there's a lot of value in a player that can do that. He, he had a couple times tonight where his, his getting in and collapsing led to buckets, right? And, you know, look, I get it. He fumbles a ball every once in a while. But Amari, you know this. You, you watch him all season long. What does he want to do when he gets down there? He he wants to make somebody else up, make a play for somebody else. He's incredibly unselfish. Yeah, he is, and he and he works really hard and he cares. And I just I don't know why you don't reward that. You know, it's just and there's nobody else on the team who could even come close to replicating that. Right? Like you look at the other ball handlers on this team. Like Sasser's played well, but even in that, when he's the only guy in that group who could really create his own look, it, it, I just think it overtaxes whoever has the ball in their hands. Like, you could play Sasser and Ivy. You could play Malachi Flynn and Ivy. You know, I think it's been hard to understand why it's always an either-or proposition when those guys is buying. Like, they're not bad players. I mean, they could make plays. Flynn, I think, has probably exceeded expectations just in some of the shots he's been able to hit to keep those units afloat. But it's not better than just having Ivy on the floor, right? So it's just I that yeah. Ivy usually yeah. subs out like seven minutes into the game, and then K comes out eleven minutes later. Isn't that the long game? Isn't this about the long game, though? I mean, he made a play yeah. tonight. He he swiped the ball. It was in the second half. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> he's, he's he swipes the ball. He's sort of near the sideline. I've maybe free throw high near the sideline. It was a pass down to the wing. I don't remember who it was. He swipes the ball, and it, it may have been Caruso. Who was in front of him? Somebody was in front of him. Remember this, Amari? He's going to rip it up the right sideline with his left hand, and he wraps it around his back. As soon as the defender meets him, 
and it was for almost a full speed wraparound. And he gets down, and then all of a sudden he's doing a little almost Deion Sanders high step <laughs> with the with the ball. And he's not sure because he's so fast and he's so excited. He ends up sort of fumbling the ball, but kind of recovering and then making a pass, and it's a it's a bucket. It wasn't a prettiest yeah. at the end, but the handle and speed and balance to get around that defender with that wraparound, it was breathtaking. You know, I tweeted the other week that it was a stat. I forget the exact stat, but it showed that just how good Ivy was at pressuring the rim. Like, I think just his one-on-one ISO numbers are, like, really, really good. And he's not taking as many attempts as you would expect from somebody who's been as good at it. But I tweeted, he's doing this really just off of his first step because his handle still has a good way to go. And people were like, his handle's not that bad, is it? He doesn't have a bad handle, but you see no, some it's of the... Not. the it's not. You know, it's not bad by any means, but if he tightens that up, like you're just talking about like 10% improvements here and there that would take him from like an above average guy to like really knocking on being a star. Like it really would not take a lot of improvement to me for him to get to that point just because of how quick he is. No, if he tightens, sorry, Bryce, if he tightens no. that handle up a little bit and the shooting that we've yes. seen that's been better this year, his mm-hmm. ceiling is as high as Cade's uh, to me. And well, that would because you're no the shooting absolutely right if he can knock down catch and shoots and force closeouts good luck to anybody staying in front of him because you're just not going to be able to do it and then it comes down if he's able to actually finish make the right decisions i love that you called him unselfish earlier sean going back to my scout on him when he was at purdue and i was just doing general nba draft stuff i was like this kid is not selfish he may make the wrong read sometimes but this is not a selfish basketball player. And I thought his passing was underrated going all the way back to then. And I know we critiqued his defense earlier. He has gotten better defensively though. Now it was a catastrophe last year as a rookie. So there was, it was only going to go up, but the effort, if nothing else has gotten better, we've seen him make an impact. We've seen him make an impact on offensive boards. I've said like, he's found a way to win on the margins, Sean, And so the fact he's doing those things and he's a great teammate, he doesn't pout whenever he sets the whole fourth quarter at Madison Square Garden. He should get rewarded in all of these other situations because he's doing everything else right, even if he misses the occasional layup or makes the occasional bad read. Oh, I'm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) you, you, You can't. I mean, you can't. You can't coach. Everybody the same, right? And I and I know Monty Williams knows this. He's a smart guy, you know. He's had he's had a lot more success than any of the three of us at coaching in the NBA. And it's easy to sit here and and, uh, and you know and coach from the couch or from your office or wherever with these mics. I get it, but I just you know from what I've seen, what you hear, whatever you know, Amari hears stuff too, right? It's just that there's been some stubbornness. From from Monty Williams in terms mm-hmm. of how yeah how, how he's connected, I think it's gotten better, right? Yeah. And Monty Williams, so what, whatever else you say about him, and I know the fan base wants him out. I'll say this: they are they are still playing hard. They won yes. nine games, and they're still playing hard. Williams Monty deserves some credit for that. Yeah, that's I mean, not I mean, just they, the players. They're not coming out publicly like upset talking against him like anything like that like at the end of the day you know we just saw Jacques Vaughn get fired probably for the sole reason of losing the locker room not just losing games but it sounded like he lost the locker room and lost his players you guys would know this more than me but like at least publicly 
I know there was something with Cade the other day that everybody was tweeting about. I didn't get the full context on that, but like they're not coming out publicly making comments like some of the Nets players were about Jacques Vaughn Amari. So, I mean, again, everybody wants to crush Monty Williams. I think there's some things that he does well. I, I like some of the sets he runs. The defense has gotten better, whether that's him or somebody on the assistant coaches. The, the, the rotations is the frustrating thing, right, Sean? Like, that's the thing. Even the starting line, like, I usually don't tweet about this stuff. We saw the starting lineup as like, I don't agree with this starting lineup. I understand you have to start one of Asar or Stu. I think there's no reason to start both of those guys with Jalen Dern at the five and Jaden Ivey. Like, I just, I didn't understand that. So what about, where are you at? We've talked about the Cade Ivey rotation, Sean. What, let me, let's just start here. What did you think about the starting lineup tonight of Cade Ivey, Asar, Stu, and Dern? You know, I was thinking, I was thinking about this and I know that a lot of folks in Pistons Twitter were frustrated with the starting lineup. And they want to see either Finecchio or they want to see Grimes or whatever. I didn't. I didn't mind the start. To me, that's he can play with. He uh, to me, he can play with that a little bit. I just it's the flow of the game. It's the rotations mm-hmm. through the flow of the game that I think are the bigger issue. Their starting lineup tonight was good. Now Chicago can't score. I mean, I mean they're, they they yeah. I mean they can't they they, yeah, they can't I mean, shoot. So yeah, how much twenty nine from three? <laughs> yeah, how much is it the defense? How much was that the defense? I I don't know how much that the defense was. You know, you can make an argument. If Stewart's going to hit threes and Thompson's going to hit one three, and he Thompson actually had a lovely little sort of, he went across the lane and turned around kind of, you know what I'm talking about, Amari jumped up and maybe like a six-footer. They looked pretty smooth. I was like, ooh. He's going for that a good amount. Yeah, Every time, won a game, that's his shot. Yeah, yeah no, it's just he, so he, odd that he struggles with three so much, yet he has that turnaround midi, like, down pat. Like, yeah, no, like no. It, it, so so maybe you see what the connection is and the rebounding and, and hey, the way they were rotating on defense, I mean, that's by far their best defensive lineup, right? Unless yeah. unless you want to say Grimes for Ivy, maybe. Correct. Yeah. You know, Grimes may be a better – I mean, Grimes should – I shouldn't say maybe Grimes is a better individual defender right now. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. you lose too much to me in playmaking and and the shootings a wash. I you know, I just Ivy's just a lot more dynamic to me well, than Grimes. To me, the upside with Grimes is that you could play him with Cade or Ivy. And I think when you stagger those guys, it puts less playmaking pressure on Grimes, but when you put him alongside like a Malachi Flynn, I just think that puts more pressure on that backcourt. Completely agree. Whole, he didn't you look know, good. Like, though. Grimes, Grimes is like struggles. the perfect off guard for those guys, though. Yeah, he struggled tonight, right? When he he had mm-hmm. two, he he's like, oh, oh, I've got the ball, and I got to make something happen. That's not quite. That's not really his game. You you have two guys, and I know people are gonna say like Sasser, like Sasser averages a good amount of assists, but at the end of the day, I think what Sasser does best is Sasser creates shots for Marcus Sasser. Like that's what he mm-hmm. does best. The, the two guys who really like can create shots for other guys are Cade and Ivy right now, and so. I realize all roads continue to lead back to the same conversation. Like I realize I'm the biggest Malachi Flynn person in pit. Like everybody else doesn't even want him to play. I think Malachi Flynn is a perfectly fine backup guard in the NBA for this Pistons team. I know he's not going to play when Sasser, but like, I'm not saying put the ball in his hands and make him the sole creator. I'm like, Hey, you play him off Jaden Ivey. That's okay. You play him off Kate Cunningham. That's okay. But to your guys's point, playing Malachi and Grimes and then also, like, you put Fontecchio in a situation where he's not the most successful. I think my issue with the starting lineup 
was why doesn't like Fontech why why isn't Fontecchio still in this? I just thought he was a perfect the, the, fit for the starting the, line. The, and that's the question. And real quick, Amar, you see the domino of that too to me is if you put him in for Stewart, I would put him in for Stewart instead of Thompson. Sure. And then and then and then Stewart's your backup five, and then Wiseman perfect. doesn't need to play. Perfect. Like I would yeah. be. I think I I said initially I didn't want either of them to start, but then I didn't have an answer who the fifth starter was after Fontecchio. So it's like, okay, I think what you said, Sean, is probably the right answer. Start Fontecchio with the SAR, and then now, like, especially with Mascala gone now, now you can play Stu as the backup five, and then you just rock from there. So that's where I would be. Omari, any thoughts on rotations, the substitution patterns, the all bench lineups? those type of things before we kind of get into some other stuff. Yeah. You know, I know that that the question coming into the night was when Isaiah Stewart comes back, how does that impact the rest of the forward rotation? Just given that it's kind of wild. Like Isaiah Stewart's last game was January 28th and he came down to like a completely different rotation, (laughs) like, like a completely different team. And, you know, even though Fontecchio came off of the bench and he wasn't as impactful in the first half as he was in the second, but he was rolling in the fourth quarter he did end up playing alongside the starters, except it was in place for Asar. So you had Fontecchio, Stu, Duran, and then, you know, Kate and Ivy, obviously, which I don't think that that was discussed as much, maybe among fans, the possibility of, or, or, or you know, or actually it was like people were like, let's try to get as much shooting as possible, and then you could go four out. So Monty actually did that in the fourth quarter before he brought. Asar back in and Asar has some good plays tonight like he knocked down threes like I thought that was fine but you know I thought that was curious given that he had that lineup out briefly I think in the third period and then he brought Grimes out and then he didn't really stick with it so to go back to it going forward I'm wondering if that's just because Fontecchio was playing so well or if that's in Monty's mind he is trying to get those spacing lineups out there on some level. So I want to talk more about Asar Thompson because I think sometimes this can come off as like disrespect towards Asar or we don't think he's a good player. Like I think it's just the context of the rotation. So we're going to take a short break here. We'll come back for our final 15, 20 minutes. If you guys have any questions for Sean specifically or us in general, we'll answer those over the last 10 or 15 minutes here. But Omari, when we come back, let's go directly into Asar Thompson, kind of his game, what we've seen and what we see moving forward from him. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back with segment three, and we're just going to dive right into Asar Thompson here. It seems like he's gotten back to being a star after I think he hit a bit of a rookie wall around December when he had that broken nose. Sean, when you're looking at Asar, and, you know, of course, the three-point shooting has to come along, but just everything else he's been able to sustain this season, you know, playmaking-wise, rebounding, what stood out to you tonight, but then also coming into this game about him? The fact that he desperately, desperately tried not to bite on DeMar DeRozan's <laughs> yes. bump face, which is really hard to do. And he, he, he only got him once when I saw. Is it, yeah, was it just he did. one time? He bit, 
Yeah. Well, he got him one more time, at the, but it was maybe a questionable call, actually. Remember at the end of the third quarter? No. Was it the end of the third quarter? It was down near the baseline of Mari. Yeah, was, that was the he, end yeah. of the, the third. He got him right as time expired. It was like yeah, but he, and, and Thompson yeah. didn't leave his feet, but he left his heels, so to speak. So he got up on the tippy toes. He, and, I thought that was and, a dicey call. And moved just a little forward, and the ref was right yeah. there. His hands were already up when DeRosa went in, into his shooting motion. Yeah, that could have that could have been an on call at all. I just yeah, I, I'm with you. He's looked he's looked better. I, I I think of him as a connector, a little bit, on 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 both ends. Maybe not defensively as much because he's just, he's just so good on the ball. But he's he's a difference maker defensively. Yeah, all, no, he's, all, all, already. Yeah, he's. What did you think coming in? Because I didn't think he was going to be this good as a rookie defensively. I thought he had a lot of bad habits coming out of OTE. And I feel like, and I've said this before, that he was able to rid himself of most of those bad habits while keeping most of the positives, which obviously a lot of that comes with just insane. Like he's a top 3% athlete, you know, day one in the NBA. I, I've just been in, incredibly impressed with what he's done defensively. He, he can be a little bit disruptive. Obviously he rebounds, but you know, he takes tough matchups. I guess my question, do you, is this way beyond your expectations for Asar defensively so far, Sean? Not necessarily. Not after, and I know summer league doesn't always sure. translate, but after yeah. getting an up close look at him in Vegas last summer, and just his feel for his feel for everything. And I know he's got a lot to learn for sure, but the 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 way he's gotten into some of the best scores in the league, you've seen this, Omari, right? I mean, he doesn't shut him down, but he 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 stones him. He's a pest, he, yeah. From from you know from time to time, right? I mean, it, it, basketball is meant to you, you're meant to score, right? I mean, you, you're 100 points a game. We're, hey, they scored 95 points a game. That was a that was a good defensive effort. That's a low that's a low amount of points. So so yeah, you, the best scorers are going to score. But he's just I, I, that's why I don't mind him in the starting lineup. And and I like the chemistry he's got with Cunningham to a degree. Looking for the lob, Ivy looks for him. I just feel like they're connected. And to me, to your point, Finecchio coming in spaces it out a lot more than Stewart. Now, maybe you lose a little bit of rebounding. And Finecchio, I saw his comments after the game that he he wants to work on the def- defense. He feels like he's got to provide a little bit more there. He's not going to be as, as defensive-minded as Stewart. But how good is Stewart defensively? Let's be real. I mean, I think he's better than Fontecchio, at least. He but is. The, I, and I th- actually, I think Fontecchio's been good I put it in my notes, and again, I only got the first half. Like, I thought he struggled tonight with the DeRozan matchup. Stu's thing is, I think Stu is a really good defender as like a 4-5. So, like, you play him as a 5-man, and he's very switchable as a 5-man. That's not as intriguing if you're just straight up trying to, like, match him up with somebody. Does that make sense? Like, whenever he's a switch big, that's really valuable. as a Like, I think they started him on DeRozan tonight. Am I crazy? I'm pretty sure that was his matchup to start the game. That's yeah, a lot that's different. not a good match. That's not yeah, a good yeah. matchup. No. That's a lot different than starting yeah. him on Vooch, and then he's able to switch when he needs to. So yeah. I think that's where I think Stu is a good defender. But again, I think he's a really good defender if he's playing as the third big off the bench. 
But there are also some uh, matchups. He he dominates. Like he does such a good job against Kuzma. Like he defends well, he, Giannis he, actually pretty decent. There are just specific matchups that he really does. Well, like Paolo would have been a good matchup for him, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. like, and that's where it's a little bit different. I think it's going to be the same with Fontecchio to an extent where he's going to have like I think that's where Asar, Sean, Amari could end up being like really, really valuable. Is he's twitchy enough to guard smaller players? Absolutely. And then eventually. Because YouTube user says the only thing that bugs me about Asar is when he gets shouldered and goes flying. When he gets stronger and puts on a little more weight and all of that, then he's going to be able to take these bigger matchups that we've been talking about with Stu and Fontecchio. Like, Sean, that upside is really valuable. Well, no, what you, what you see, what, you know what you see from him in the future, maybe even next year, is whoever the best perimeter scorer is, whether it's a 6'3 guard or a 6'8 wing, that's who he's taking. Every night, yeah. that's who he's got, right? And then you roll from, and then you roll the domino. I mean, you know, you you figure it out from there. To me, to me, that's that's the key. It's like when it's like before Clay Thompson got hurt. He he. Uh, now I think Thompson's gonna be even better than Thompson. Or excuse me, a, a star Thompson's gonna be better than Clay Thompson. <laughs> yeah, was at his peak. But the, but that what a luxury that was. Defensively, yeah, what a luxury that was for them defensively back in their in their peak years, right? Well, he he's six seven. Sar is much twitchier than Clay, but yeah. the, but that's but that's what I see. Clay used to well, guard Kyrie and then and then DeRozan, right? So well, and the thing that that does is think about the pressure that takes off the Cade and Ivy backcourt, right? In terms of now sure. those guys never ever ever have to guard the other team's best player, Amari. So I mean, there, and and Nate asked this, so I'll go to you with it, Amari. What do we think about Asar's ceiling offensively? Love his defense and rebounding, but if he can't shoot, so Amari, where where do you think he can t- get to? Where does he have to get to to make this really be a net positive? Because as good as the defense is right now, the offense is questionable enough that like you could argue that it ends up being neutral or even a negative with the floor spacing. When you shoot that poorly from three and the Pistons are made it work. And I think Asar does a lot of other stuff to help make up for that. But the shooting is still, you know, in my mind, the forefront. I want to see him tighten his handle a bit. You know, I think he's a very great yeah. connective playmaker. You know, you can see him, you know, attack closeouts and things like that. Find the open man. The handle's got to tighten up a little bit. And I'm curious to see if he can really expand his game from mid-range. If he's not going to be a knock-knock three-point shooter, can he at least add on to that? turnaround jumper he has because he does so much good stuff you know but I think he is the perfect test case of how could a how good could a player of that archetype be without a jumper like there's just so many wings in the NBA where that was their swing skill look like that Isaac Okoro those types of guys uh you know like Asar has exceeded my expectations in a, a lot of ways but you know I still think they're always going to have some some roster issues and some, and some fit issues as long as he's shooting that poorly from three see to me the key to him with this roster is Jalen Durant Sure. If Duran can shoot, and, yeah. and he's got he's got he's got nice form at the free throw line. That doesn't always translate, but you can right. He's got a good feel. If he can if he can knock down an elbow jumper or fourteen foot wing jump or whatever. If he can at least if if the defense worries about him if he's four or five feet outside the paint, six feet seventy feet outside the paint, then that helps. Then to me, you can have one guy that can't shoot. Right? Yes. Not like, every, I imagine Asar being like the perfect big to play next to like a Jaron Jackson Jr. or somebody like no, that. No, for sure. No, he yes. just, just think of think of him as a big who's great defensively who can't shoot. 
Yeah. yeah. No, no, it, but for Dur- sure. But Duran, Duran's got to be able yes. to provide offense. You yeah. got to have the right five man to do that. We, I was talking about the Rockets the other day and Amin Thompson, who also can't shoot, but because Shingoon is such a like hub of the offense, can pass all of those things. Like it, it seemed to make a little more sense. And so that's, I think it's, can you make a 15 foot jumper, Sean? And then all, I think Duran can pass, but man, he makes a lot of questionable decisions right now as well. And so, it is. I think I don't know that you can ever play these four together until either Asar learns to shoot or Duran is able to do some of these things offensively, like you're talking about. No, for sure. Think about it this way with Asar. If you swap him out for Aaron Gordon, <laughs> do the do the Nuggets still want a title? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> to me. That's the oh that, man, that, you mean, put yeah, yeah. <laughs> him as an outlet with Jokic. That's yeah, yeah, no. So then so then if he's surrounded by Jokic, Murray. And uh, and KCP and and Michael Porter and, Jr. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, right. He's got to be. He's got to have four shooters around him. Yeah, or, yeah. or yeah, you know. And then to me, yeah, it's. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. That's why Finecchio. Yeah, it's got to be out yeah. there for one, and then and then we'll see what Durin. Okay, so we got a few questions in, guys. If you have any for us, ask them now because we're going to go through these and then we're going to shut it off. It is almost midnight Eastern yeah. time. It's a little earlier for me, so not too bad. Philip Bender says, is Stu really the answer at the four? So we've talked about this a little bit. Long-term, Sean and then Amari, do you think Stu is a... like? What is he going to play a higher percentage at during the peak years of his career as a successful NBA basketball player, Sean, at the five or at the four? Depends on who the general manager of the Pistons and who's the coach, right? I mean, <laughs> because they, 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 that's how they see him. Weaver was adamant about that yeah. last time we talked to him, I want to say, right? That uh, talking about Stewart, because I asked him about big men and shooting and was he, that was four. I knew he was going to get rid of Mescala, but. Then point out that they made you know the differences when he started to rethink a little bit because you know I'm, you hear things you're told things about his stubbornness that way, and of course he gets rid of him. So I so I don't know. I they love him, and I wonder if they and and I understand why. You know he's a he's a good dude, great presence, all that. He's tough. He helps the team, and he's good for the locker room, and he's good on the court. But are they in love with that too much? What do you what do you all think? Are they in love with that a little bit too much? At the at the at the expense of you know modern basketball, I think they're in love with it too much with him as a four man. I would be perfectly fine if they loved him for all of those reasons. And again, played him as the third big, where seventy percent of his minutes were at the five, thirty percent were at the four against certain matchups. So that's my thoughts, Amari. Yeah, I think Stu is an answer at the four. Like I've said this on the pod, I've said it before. I think he's the exact type of big you want in the playoffs with teams tend to go smaller. And you have somebody out there who can rebound, shoot, provide some physicality. Like, I think he's perfect for that. But that's a rotation big. And I think when you have a team like the Pistons are constructed now, where he probably slots in perfectly at the five, like we talked about earlier, you could just take Duran out and then just shift Isaiah Stewart up. And you have these power forwards like Fontecchio, you know, who could come in, Asar, and fill those minutes. You know, that's not, that's not what has been happening. So, you know, I look no, at it from that no. standpoint. And, yeah, or next to a stretch, next to a stretch five, yeah. or next to a stretch five, right? Yeah, so sure. It's just it's not they're not capitalizing on all of Isaiah Stewart's strengths because they are playing him out of position to an extent. Because I think there's stuff he could do at the five that they could actually benefit from some nights. 
All right. So Derek Brown asked this team, or he says this team is a lot more fun to watch after the trade deadline. So I'm going to turn that into a question, Sean. Do you agree with that? And do you think we continue to see this team grow for what we have seen from the Pistons this year, right? Like there's always context with this. Like, I mean, crazy enough right now, they don't have the worst record in the NBA, I believe, at time of recording anymore. I think they're tied for the worst record. Do you think this team will be fun to watch the last month and a week or whatever we have left? Absolutely. I think they're fun to watch right now. Now, you got to be a hoop head a little bit. You know, look, casual fans are, <laughs> are casual fans around here in Michigan or whatever who's ever lived in Michigan, loves the Pistons, living in Arizona. They're maybe not going to check in. And I, hey, I understand that. I respect that. But I, they're fun to watch now and they should be. What I like about the trade deadline, Grimes is interesting. Finecchio, I think, is a, is, is a good fit. But what I really like is that, and you saw this tonight, whatever else we say about Stewart in the starting lineup right now, they are leaning in and seeing what they have with the five guys they think are their five most important players. Sure. And, and that's at least, that at least makes some sense. Sure. You can quibble about should it be Finecchio. Uh, maybe some people want Grimes in over uh, Ivy, which I don't agree with, but I at least understand that. But they were basing that off a of uh, fourth quarter in New York. But I think that is worth something. See what you got. And the deadline, it got rid of Burks and Bogdanovich, and they were, they, hey, those guys are nice professional players, but they were getting in the way a little bit of this. You need to see what you got. Yep, I love it. Amari? I'm set. I'm set. I think we touched it. All right, last one here. Our music from Twitter says, Cade is done not participating in All-Star Weekend. So I don't know if this means he specifically will be an All-Star next year, but guys, how close are we to Cade Cunningham NBA all-star level of a player. Yeah, I mean, if he keeps up what he's been doing over the past few months, the all-star discussion is tough now just because the NBA is so deep that there's guaranteed to be multiple stubs every single year. So, you know, I, I look at it more so as Kate being like at the forefront of the conversation. Like, if this is a true turning point for him, then I think he would be in that conversation every year from here on out. You know, whether he actually gets in, of course, depends largely on the Pistons record. But, yeah, a guy who's averaging, you know, 23 points, a very efficient 23 points, primary playmaker, hitting the big shots he's hit. He's going to be in that discussion, especially if he can maintain some of the defensive intensity we've seen at times. But, you know, I think has has waned at times as well. Sean, you get the final word here. Cade Cunningham, future All-Star. I think he is a future all-star, just not next year. Jamal Murray wasn't an all-star this year, right? I, I mean, don't think he's ever been an all-star. And, and, which is sort of ridiculous, right? When you when you <laughs> yeah. watch what it's watch him play the playoffs and what he did last year on the way to the title. No, I I think unless he comes out and scores thirty points a game and you just sort of have to force the hand, I don't know that I'd see that next year. Maybe twenty six next year, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which will to Amari's point get him in the conversation. I do think he's a future all-star though. And I'm glad he's starting to play defense a little bit because he played better defense as a rookie than he did yeah. the first part of this year. And, you know, yeah. and that's important. That's important. He came out of college with a rep for being a pretty good defensive player. You know, not like Thompson, but a good defensive player. So, yep. Yeah. All around player. And, and at times we haven't seen that all around game from Cade. All right, guys, we, we got to record immediately after a Pistons win, which isn't something we get to do very often, Omari. We broke news on the pod yet again. I mean, if, if Pistons fans want news to break, we should just go live. And of course, we are joined by our man, Sean Windsor. We always appreciate it. Always a great episode when he joins us. Thank you to him. Omari, take it away, my guy. 
Absolutely. Big thanks, as always, to Sean for joining us. We'll have to have you on again soon as the season winds down here. We get closer to draft season. Uh, so big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chen, our editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkley Crawford. And then shout out to Wes, who will join us again next week. And we'll talk to you all soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.